Please pray with me. Father, it's time for us to feed on your word uh, before we partake of the elements of communion. Once again, God, we're so grateful that you are all wise. You know our hearts, you know our cares, you know our burdens, you know our struggles. And your word is our remedy. Your love is our comfort. Your mercies are new. Your compassions fail not. Your justice will be done. And so we trust in you, God. We rejoice that we get to have this time in your word. So thankful for Mark's gospel. Thankful that we can learn more of our Savior and how to live in light of his love and grace. Pray, Lord, that this word would be encouraging and and a blessing, Lord, to everyone who's here and everyone who's listening. And most of all, God, to you, a praise to you. So thank you, Father, again for this precious time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And as you turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, there has a lot that has been said, rightly so, about counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Right? As Ruth's offertory, um, just the lyrics of that offertory, so wonderfully expressed, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. We've been over Mark chapter 8, the tail end of Mark chapter 8, where Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his what? His cross daily and follow me. Right? And in, in the ensuing teaching there, Jesus says, if anyone loses or tries to keep his life, he's going to lose it. If anyone loses his life for his sake, he'll find it. And so, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his own soul? See, Jesus cares that we rightly understand what it means to follow him. And he spent a lot of time teaching and training his disciples, telling it like it is to them and to the masses of people who were supposedly following him. He lovingly told them the truth about his lordship, about his being the only way to get to heaven, about him being not a bread of life, but the bread of life. And guess what? Many, many people amongst the crowds stopped following him after he was teaching like that. And yet he continued to speak the truth in love to everyone who came to him. Our text today in Mark chapter 10, and thus our sermon, speaks of something a little bit different, related but different. Rather than counting the cost, the Lord talks about reaping the rewards, reaping the rewards of sacrifice. And our sermon theme today, um, it's in your insert there, and it's on the screen, I think. Sacrifice for the sake of Christ and the gospel comes with something. It comes with Jesus' promise of blessings. Jesus promises blessings, both now and in eternity. And so I'm going to read Mark chapter 10. Our passage is verses 28 to 31. But I'm actually going to start reading in verse 23, just so we get the, um, the lead in. 
uh, to that back in our minds because it's been a few Sundays. All right. So if you are able, please stand once again as we honor God's word out of respect for God's word. We are standing up if we are if we can. And I'm going to read Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Okay, Our actual passage for today in our sermon starts in 28. But this is the word of God. Verse 23, Mark 10. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now today's passage, 28 to 31. And Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much. Now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Please be seated. Rewards of Sacrifice for Christ. That's the title of our message today. And we need to lead in with uh, verses 28 and 29 before we get to the outline portion. Verse 28, once again, Peter says to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. We have left everything. So Peter, once again, is speaking for the rest of the 12 disciples. And notice that he says, Behold. He's speaking to the Lord, right? Like, Lord, look. Looky here. <clears throat> Attention. Okay, this is Peter's response to Jesus' teaching, right? That I just read. After the rich young ruler, he sadly departs from the Lord. He's unwilling to let go of his earthly treasures to follow Christ. And so Jesus teaches that stunning reality about man's impotence to save himself. Even the richest and best of men have no power to earn their way into heaven or to buy their way to eternal life. No power. But all things, even the salvation of sinful men and women, are possible with God. Hey, there's lots of ways to twist that verse and, and take it out of context and make it mean uh, all sorts of things. But Jesus is talking about heaven, salvation, eternal life. So perhaps Peter here, still a bit shocked by what Jesus has said, and maybe feeling a, a bit entitled, or maybe just wanting some confirmation that he and the twelve are doing good, right? That, that rich young ruler guy. He can't get into heaven with all his goodness and power and blessings and respect and riches. What about us? Right? What about those of us who have left everything? Our fishing boats, family, business, tax booths, politics, home. What about us to follow you, Lord? Matthew's account, Matthew 19, he says, What then will there be for us? 
Verse 29 is Jesus' response. Notice the Lord does not rebuke or correct Peter here. Rather, his answer was in the affirmative. And that's an understatement. It's in the affirmative and then some. And he ends by saying, look at verse 31. He ends by saying in verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And this is this is an encouragement, a reinforcement to Peter and the twelve. It might appear to you guys from a from a human perspective that people like the rich young ruler are going to be first in line for heaven. But that's not so. They might be last. They might not, not even get in at all. But the last shall be first. It seems like many who follow Jesus have given up so much. They don't have much. They don't seem very wise. These are going to be at the front of the line. And others have have commented that perhaps he's, he's talking about this is all believers. And so the ones at the front of the line are going to seem like the ones who have sacrificed the most. They seem like they're way at the back. And the ones who seem like they're, they just got everything together and they're in the front, they, they might end up last. Okay, whatever, whatever that is, I want you to look at what Jesus starts with. Okay, he says, truly I say to you. Right, this is one of a handful of times that Jesus remarks, starts his remarks with that phrase. He wants them to listen carefully. He wants us to listen carefully. Something very important to take heed of. And in this case, what he wants them and us to understand is this. He promises blessings and rewards. It's a a guarantee of sorts. Without being prosperity gospel teaching, physical health, wealth, material success, Jesus does promise riches of a different sort. And the promise is that anyone who has left all to follow him will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age and in the age to come. A hundred times as much. This is a sublime compensation, if you will. Reward, recompense. Uh, I think the King James says a hundredfold. This is the highest degree of return. It's more than you can imagine. And so... Quickly, it doesn't mean this, right? I gave one dollar, so, so God is going to give me a hundred dollars. It doesn't mean that. Even though He might, and He could, and He might even give you a thousand dollars. But the point here is that He has way more for us than we can fathom. Way more than, than anything we could ever give up for following Him. Okay? And there's going to be more on that in the first point. But before we get there, very important to note this. Who is this reward promise given to? If you read it carefully, it doesn't seem to apply to all believers directly. Because Peter has implied a question, hasn't he? He said, "What, what about us who have left everything and followed you? So Jesus replies, truly, there's no one who has left all those things, home, family, Farms, okay, in other words, everything, right? For my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that will receive a hundredfold back. So, so this applies directly to the twelve. It applies to the many folks in those days who would eventually need to leave everything because of their faith in Jesus. And not all who became Christians necessarily at that time had to leave everything to follow him. And many did, but not all. So I believe this promise of reward is specific to believers 
who have sacrificed much, and who have given up a lot in order to follow Christ. Hey, did you see that? He says, for my sake, in order to follow him, to be his disciple, hey, due to your faith in him. And then he says, and for the gospel's sake. So this is especially in order to proclaim the gospel. I've left everything behind so that I can preach the good news. I can proclaim the good news. Okay, this is who he's talking about. And a quick footnote within a footnote here. Okay, quick, by the way. Jesus and the gospel are distinct, okay, yet inseparable. Okay, he says, for my sake and the gospel's sake. He says that a number of times when he's teaching the disciples. And... Um, there's a, a helpful quote from James Morrison, <clears throat> and this is not the late singer of the doors, just FYI, James Morrison. Quote, without him, without Jesus, the gospel would be nothing. Without the gospel, men would know nothing of him, end quote. And so they're, they're distinct yet inseparable. So I want to ask, who in today's time has sacrificed family and home and such for the sake of Christ and the gospel. So I have a few suggestions. Okay, for example, converts in Muslim lands. Okay, people who become believers in Christ and they live in a, in a Muslim country, a strictly Muslim country, let's say. They become disowned by their own parents and family and society. Right? They, they, they hear the gospel, they get saved, they become a Christian. You know what happens? They get outcast, kicked out of their own homes. And I've heard, and you've probably heard testimonies of, of people who had to run away um, out of danger. And so there's those dangerous situations, whether it's in the Middle East and other, it doesn't have to be Muslim, it could be in North Korea, it could be in Indonesia, it could be China, okay, where Christianity is, is suppressed. And becoming a Christian could mean jail. Or consequences to your family, right? That's when it really hurts. So they don't just threaten you, but they threaten harm to your family, right? So, so that's, that's a, a category of people that this would apply directly to, right? Left everything to follow Jesus and to proclaim the gospel. Missionaries. How about missionaries? Um, whether it's in places like this that I just mentioned, or just to very impoverished, poor countries. For example, Cambodia. One of the missionary families that we, we support, uh, Faith Bible Church supports, the, the Quay family, right? They, they have sacrificed much uh, in order to, to minister and serve and proclaim the gospel in that third world country where there's many, many conveniences and comforts of, of here that are missing. And they've got three little children. Hey, one of them has one arm and it's just um, it's, 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 uh, it's a different situation. How about pastors and chaplains and evangelists? They were kind of like, you know, going down like that a little bit. But I just think back to the time when, after I got saved, and I was thinking of what did God want me to do with my life, with the life that he gave me, and it became um, either something to do with the church or social work. That was like what was on my heart. I wanted to help people. And the more I I researched it, the more I I thought about it, it, God was leading towards seminary. And at the same time, my father, who I wanted to honor now as a Christian, my parents, I wanted to honor them, whereas before there was a lot of dishonor and lots of sin uh, on my part. Um, <clears throat> he was pushing me towards getting an MBA and, and, and um, going that route and, and being able to 
Um, I could still help people in a different way, maybe in a human resources or nonprofit department or just uh, being in some kind of position there. And I could also help my my family out uh, financially. I have some family members who are needy and my parents. And so it became this uh, this struggle. Right. But whether it's that situation or whatever, there's people in ministry, chaplains, evangelists, pastors who have given up a lot in order to be in the ministry. And lastly, other faithful Christians, okay, perhaps not called as, as pastors, perhaps not called as, as missionaries, but they've given up so much for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And you could see it in their lives. You could see it in their, their hearts. And so this would apply most directly to a lot of these categories. And so in some way, I think it applies to every one of us who have given up something for Christ. But what does Jesus promise to those who have faithfully sacrificed for his sake, for the sake of the gospel? Well, he mentions three rewards, three recompenses, blessings. And this might be surprising to us, but it's not only future reward, okay, but rewards even now. So this is where our outline begins. And from verses from verse 30, basically, there's three rewards that sacrificial, faithful disciples of Jesus should enjoy, expect and be motivated by. And the first one is in the first part of verse 30. He says, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. And this is the provision of spiritual family and ultimate security. The provision of spiritual family and ultimate security. And so notice again, the Lord says he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. He's talking about while we live now, okay, our time on earth. So, is Joel Osteen right? Your best life now? Okay, look at the three main categories. I mentioned them before. Okay, home, relatives, farms, or property. Right? In other words, pretty darn important things. Okay? Okay, virtually everything, like Peter said before. Right? We left everything and followed you, Lord. So, First, I want to look at relatives, a family, regarding relatives and family. Our physical families, which, you know, our most treasured relationships, right? Jesus promises that anyone who has needed to leave them in order to follow him and proclaim the gospel, this person will receive much more, okay, hundredfold, right? But it's in the form of spiritual family in the church. Spiritual family in Christ. Hey, all who are adopted into God's family gain a multitude of brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you want to turn back real quick to Mark chapter 3, turn left in your Bibles. Mark chapter 3. Verse 31 to 35. And it's been a while, but you remember this, this incident. His own family is kind of questioning his rationality. And um, in verse 31, it says, Then his mother, that's Mary, right? And his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. 
A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Right? This is Jesus' physical earthly family. Verse 33, answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And he's pointing to believers. He's talking to those who have been converted, born again to him. Right? So back to Mark chapter 10. uh, But before that, Galatians 6 verse 10. You can jot that one down as well. Galatians 6.10, Paul writes, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of what? The household of the faith. And he's talking about the new household, the new family, the spiritual family in Christ. Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, he says, Children of God. 1 John 3, 1 and 2, children of God. And when we get saved, we get born into a new family. We are adopted as as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we look at Mark chapter 10 again, a super quick note here again, because uh, those of you who are watching and listening very carefully, in verse 29, Jesus says, there's no one who has left house or brothers, sisters, mother or father or children or farms. Then he says in verse 30, but that he will receive a hundred times as much more in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and the mothers and children and farms. And he leaves out, Father's there. And William Lane says that this omission is undoubtedly intentional since God himself is the head of the new spiritual family. And he references Mark 11:25, your father who is in heaven. And so Jesus is encouraging Peter here. He's saying anyone who has left their family for me, for the gospel, will gain a hundredfold spiritual family. Hey, Peter may not have understood exactly what Jesus meant here just yet, hey, but that was the promise. So isn't this the, the reality of our Christian lives, folks? Hey, though we still deeply, deeply love our unbelieving family members, hey, our parents, our children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, right, who God gave to us, We have much more oneness and commonality in Christ's love with each other as Christians than we do with even our closest relatives. And that is the the reality of, of the Christian life. That is the reality of being born again. That is the reality of adoption as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father in Christ. Okay, so I'll wrap that up in a moment, but... Um, let's get to the home and property part, right? Because he says homes and farms, putting those two things together, right? Because some have left home where their families are. They left their farms, their land, their property, perhaps to follow Christ, to become fishers of men, left it all behind because Jesus is everything now, right? So part of this promise includes the return and reward of those things as well somehow. Hey, again, is this prosperity teaching, right? Sacrifice. So God is gonna, God's gonna give you more. Sacrifice, give up your home, give up your land, give up your property, and God is gonna, He's gonna give you more homes. He's gonna give you more farms. He's gonna give you more property, more land, more stuff. And that's, that's not the promise of, of Jesus. That's not the promise of the Christian life. 
But here it is. Hey, God is going to provide what those homes and farms represent, okay, which is basically security and sustenance. Okay, security and sustenance. And this is in the form of a new spiritual home. A new spiritual home. Galatians 6.10 again. He calls it the household of faith. Ephesians 2 verse 19. He says God's household. It's not talking about a physical household there, but listen. Being in God's family means a spiritual household, right? And this actually worked out in very practical, physical ways as well. Many times what would happen in, in the early church was that new believers would become outcasts from their families. Just like today when in, in Muslim countries and elsewhere, you become a Christian and it means you're, you're no longer part of the family. You're kicked out. Well, that's what happened in Jesus' time. Okay? And they're kicked out of their families, their homes, the synagogue, the society. And guess what? They'd end up staying with other believers. They'd end up staying in, in their homes. And as we heard last week from Pastor Bill in Acts chapter 4, okay, part of the Christian's priority was to share and take care of each other, right? Loving one another in Christ. And this is part of what Jesus said in John 13, right? By this, the world will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. So the church family became their life as they followed Jesus. They served and ministered and spread the gospel across the land together. And so sometimes they lived in other believers' homes. They were put up by them, become part of the household, possibly working on on their farms or their property. They were a sharing community. It wasn't a a communist community. It was a a caring community. Christians share because they care. And we know that the Apostle Paul, he took up offerings from Macedonia and the the churches in the area in order to, to provide for the needy folks and needy believers in Jerusalem. So I believe this is what Jesus is referring to when he includes homes and farms in part of the blessing and reward that faithful, sacrificial believers are promised in this life right now. He's not talking about our heavenly home yet. God will provide through the spiritual church family what is needed for survival, for security, for sustenance. And I'm reminded again of our our dear youth who, who served our sister Arlene yesterday. And just that, just playing out in, in action. So this is what it is to be in God's family, the church family. And you look at all of us here at, at Faith Bible Church, those of us who are believers, right? M- many of us have very little in common, except only the most important thing, the gospel, Right? We are one in Christ. We have unity in Christ, in his gospel. What does Paul tell the Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all of us. Right? God has put us together as one body, united in the Lord Jesus Christ, knit together in his love and in the good news of the gospel. So the, the IFCA convention that we were at last, last week, right? We met many believers for the first time. We never set eyes or talked to them ever. 
But it seemed like we were just instantly brothers and sisters in Christ, one big family, right? Maybe there's a little extra there because, you know, just being in ministry and everything like that. But um, just, uh, right, you just, you don't get that anywhere else. So we should appreciate and enjoy that brotherhood, men, and that sisterhood, sisters, that spiritual fellowship and bond of our, of our family, of our new family. The Lord lets Peter know that this is uh, as, as an encouragement and motivation. Hey, he, Jesus knows that Peter did leave a lot behind, right? It's fishing nets, business, livelihood to follow him. And so how encouraging it is for, for Peter, for the disciples, for us, knowing that as we sacrifice, as we give up a lot of the, just the, the things of this earth to follow him and for the sake of the gospel, that, that Jesus has this promise. To end this point, William Barclay says, quote, A man's Christianity might involve the loss of home and friends and loved ones, but his entry into the Christian church brought him into a far greater and wider family than ever he had left, a family who are all spiritually kin to him. Quote, end quote. Amen? All right, that's the first reward of sacrifice for Christ, the provision of spiritual family and ultimate security. The second, second reward is in the second part of verse 30, the privilege of persecution. If you're taking notes there, the blank is persecution. Because Jesus says, with home, relatives, family, property, farms, he, say, he adds, along with what? Persecutions. He promises that. And again, this is, this is for those who have sacrificed to the point of leaving all to follow him and to proclaim the gospel. Okay, Jesus keeps it real. It's not your best life now, as in the promise of a, a good job, promise of that promotion, if you just think positively, promise of financial success, the promise of everyone loving you, promise of popularity, promise of being well thought of in the world's eyes. No, no, he promises persecutions. And, and did you notice the plural there? Persecutions. Yeah, that is attacks, hardships, hostility, hatred, vitriol, even violence. This is promised by the Lord. Do you remember what he said in John chapter 15? John 15 verses 18 through 20. He said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. He's talking to his disciples, okay, believers. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right? And... and um. We're seeing this in the world. Uh, we got another letter from the Open Arms Pregnancy Clinic uh, just the other day. And praising God once again that so far they have been kept from harm. They have been kept from um, any attacks. But they continue to ask for prayer because they know the enemy is working. They're planning. They're scheming. The Psalms say they, they, they sit in their beds at night and scheme how to destruct and do evil. And so... Particular places like Open Arms Pregnancy Clinic, which is trying to help 
those who are in unintended pregnancies, like women who are in unintended pregnancies, and to help them see other options other than the termination of their baby, um, they are being attacked by those who don't like what's going on uh, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the, the work and the ministry, um, life-affirming ministries that places like that are doing. There's a care center in New Mexico, uh, a lady who spoke at the convention, and she said that New Mexico is the epicenter of abortion in, in the United States. And as bad as California is, it's, it's even worse over there. And pretty much everything that's bad in the world is happening in New Mexico. And everything that's good in the world um, is basically not happening very much in New Mexico. That's the way she put it. And so the enemy, Jesus promises persecutions. He says in John 16, the next chapter of John 16, verse 33, In the world you have tribulation. Okay, you will have troubles. He tells his disciples this. Because you're believers. You're different from the world. They don't like your message. They don't like when you, when you tell them that they are headed towards hell and judgment if they don't repent and receive the love and lordship of Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear it. He says, you will have trouble. But then he says, take courage. Take courage. Take heart. For I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul knew all of this. Okay, so he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul knew persecution well. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. And then he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be, what? Persecuted. So fellow Christians, Faith Bible Church, hey, are you being persecuted today, these days, hey, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of of sharing the gospel. I, I want to ask, do you, do you desire to live godly? Because Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, so what's, the, what's the flip side to that? If we don't desire to, to live godly in Christ Jesus, and we're, we're not faithful to proclaim the gospel to those around us, we're not going to have much persecution. Not much suffering, right? Kind of sailing on the seas of cheese and just kind of going along, drifting along in our Christian life. So the Bible says you will be persecuted. It's a promise. It's a promise if you desire to live godly, if you're faithful to the calling of being fishers of men. So whether you're standing up for the righteousness of Jesus Christ on issues like abortion or the LGBTQIA or true justice or God's design for men and women in the church and home or simply proclaiming the gospel to people, whether you're standing up for righteousness in any of those ways, and we're not making unnecessary enemies, okay? We're speaking the truth in love. You're either going to be probably... You're either going to be attacked 
or abandoned. It's, it's happened in, in the church. You, you speak the truth and you're either attacked or you're abandoned. You're castigated or, or canceled. We see it going on over and over and over for, for the 700 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal and is actually standing up for the truth and for, God, for the gospel and for Christ. So this raises a, an obvious question. Okay, how, how is persecution like that a reward? <laughs> right? How is it a blessing? I called it the, the privilege of persecution. Right? How is it a privilege uh, to, to undergo all of that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So I have a, a number of things here to offer to you. I'm going to try to go through these quickly, but listen to Romans 8, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. So suffering, persecution, sacrifices for Christ, it's part of the evidence that we are saved. It's part of the evidence that you are actually saved. Assurance of our standing as children of God and heirs with Christ, what a tremendous blessing and reward that is. Yeah, how many people have I met in, in my years of ministry who are unsure of their salvation? They're just, they're always wondering. I'm, I'm telling you, if you're being persecuted for the sake of Christ and for righteousness and for proclaiming the gospel, that is a pretty good evidence that you belong to him. Okay? Just uh, meditate on Romans 8, 16 and 17 for a while. So that's one thing. Another thing is this, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 5. And uh, Paul here is speaking of himself and fellow ministers of the gospel. Okay? 2 Corinthians 1, this is where he got the Father of mercies, right? Father of all mercies from our Father's Day sermon. But the next verse... Uh, verse after that says, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. He's talking about him as a preacher of the gospel, the fellow ministers of the gospel. The sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So in other words, there's a particular comfort and care and encouragement that comes the more we suffer for him. Okay. Again, Paul is writing to the Corinthians there, right? And he's just um, defending himself, defending his apostleship, just uh, telling them about all the, the beatings and the, the sufferings and afflictions and persecutions that he's endured. Right? There's a, a particular comfort and encouragement that comes when that's happening to you from Christ, through Christ. Another thing, Philippians 3, verses 8 and 10. Paul writing again to the Philippians. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so persecution, suffering, counting them as loss. This is part of God's way of molding and shaping us into Christ likeness. Hey, that's, that's part of what Paul is saying here. So becoming more like Christ is, is part of our, our aim, isn't it, as Christians? If there's a, a, a list of, of purposes or aims, that, that basic 
goals that we are to live for as Christians, to become more like our Savior. And so persecution serves that purpose as well. And, and what a reward that is. Hey, for, for me to become more like Jesus Christ. Like, what a blessing. Yes, what a, what a privilege it is for me to become more like the one who saved me. And it's not even just for me, but it's for, for y'all, right? For fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not only for y'all, but it's for, for God himself. What reward that is. Okay, four to, four to five coming up. Second Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10. Second Timothy 2, 8 through 10. And it says there in that wonderful passage, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. Paul's sitting in prison here as he writes this, right? But the word of God is not imprisoned. Verse 10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. So our persecution for Christ and for the gospel is used by God to bring the lost to himself. And we are privileged to be a a part of the greatest mission on earth. And and our suffering for him reminds us of that. And we go out and we share the gospel and people are are mocking us or people are ignoring us. People are just like, yeah, I'm not interested or just, you know, stop talking to me or, or whatever. Right. You can tell they're, 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 whatever the persecution is, or they're doing whatever. It reminds us, okay, when people come to saving faith through our faithful witnessing, that we are used by God for the greatest mission on earth. Lastly, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. And I, I just have to read this whole passage, so you can either turn there or just listen to me. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. Peter writing, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. He's talking to the Christians who are undergoing persecution, right? Which comes upon you for your testing. Don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will be the outcome? Verse 18. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will be what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So verse 14, again, persecution for Christ brings the blessing of assurance that you belong to God. The spirit of glory rests on you. And verse 17 and 18, as we Christians suffer for Jesus' sake, it's proof that the world will be judged. As we are faithful to love unbelievers with Christ's love, 
speaking the gospel to them, God is the one who will bring his righteous judgment on those who reject the truth. Okay? So what are these privileges, these, these rewards of persecution that we've been over? It gives evidence that we are saved, that we truly belong to Christ. Assurance, right? We receive unspeakable comfort from Christ as we suffer for him. And three, it's part of God's means of making us more like Jesus. Number four, it's also part of God's way of saving the souls of others. Number five, it's proof that one day the world will be judged by God. And he's the great vindicator. I want to quote D. Edmund Hebert here. He says, The experience of persecutions would accompany the experience of the rewards here. They are in reality part of the blessings. It has been the common experience that persecutions only sweeten the rich social and religious fellowship enjoyed by the saints. End quote. He doesn't have a scripture for that one, but um, he, what he's saying is when, when a church body is, is persecuted, and we think of maybe the believers in, in Ukraine right now, and when they're being persecuted and attacked, um, sometimes what happens is the, the body comes closer together, right? The, the, the fellowship between them, the bond between them comes that much stronger and tighter. And so that's a, just a bonus one, okay? So, dear Faith Bible Church family, if we're not being persecuted much these days for the sake of Christ, our Savior, our Lord, for the sake of his precious gospel, Okay, the only message that will save souls from judgment. If we're not being persecuted, it could be because we're not on mission. We're not on mission to share him with others. And I don't want us to miss out on any of these privileges or rewards or blessings that, that come from Scripture, right? God tells us there are these incredible privileges that come as we sacrifice for Jesus and the gospel. All right. So before we get to our, our, our last point here, listen, some of you were thinking of this. So I got to say it. Right. Because our, our Lord, he mentions and he, he gives us even further assurance and fuel okay, to, to sacrifice for him, to be faithful to him. He points us to heaven in Matthew chapter five. Right. The Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. There you go. Assurance again, right? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right. He follows that up in Matthew six with the command store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Hey, how do we store up that treasure in heaven? Folks, a lot of the way is through sacrifice and even suffering. And even suffering for the sake of Christ now. And so, Acts chapter 14. Listen to this. Acts 14, verses 19 to 22. Just jot it down. I'm going to read it real quick. But this is actually, um, an incredible account of the Apostle Paul. Acts 14, verse 19 to 22. It says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, 
supposing him to be dead. Right? He was, he was left for dead. But while the apostles stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derb. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying this, listen, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is motivation, right? The eternal kingdom. It's a promise. It's a privilege. It's a reward. It's a blessing. I'm reminded of the quote from the Roman general Maximus in the movie Gladiator when he says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Maybe Jim Elliott said it better. The martyred Christian missionary, one of the Ecuador Five who got killed by the Alca Indians as they were trying to go and spread the gospel to them. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that leads us to our last reward. We had the provision of spiritual family and ultimate security, the privilege of persecution, and I hope we understand that now. Lastly is the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life. Because Jesus says, what you have now, I'm saying a hundred times as much you'll receive. And in the age to come, eternal life, which is, of course, the ultimate reward. The priceless treasure. The best promise of all. This is yet future, but it starts for believers the moment you're saved. And once one is saved, true, actual life begins. And we're getting a taste of it right now, right? This life that we live in the flesh, okay, live physically, I'm not talking about sinful flesh, but one day all of it will come to fruition. Okay, it will turn to glorification as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. And so I want us to understand really quickly that the promise of eternal life is not only in quantity, because okay, eternal means forever and ever and ever and ever, okay, which is just uh, mind-blowing. It's never, ever going to end, folks. Okay, that's why we sang in Before the Throne of God that we, we will never die. right? Christians, even though our physical bodies die, our souls are going to live forever. We are actually going to receive resurrected bodies in the day um, when it comes, and Bodies, physical bodies, and souls that are fit for eternity. It's never, ever, ever going to end. Praise the Lord for that. But we should understand that this promise is not only that quantity, which is mind-blowing enough in itself, but quality of life. Okay? A quality of life. And uh, I looked up online, places in the world in 2022, okay? the, the quality of life index and ranking um, in the world. And uh, this quality of life rating, ranking, was based on purchasing power, safety, health care, cost of living, property price to income ratio, traffic commute time, pollution, and climate. And so those were the, the factors. And just as an FYI, the top five were Switzerland, Denmark, Netherlands, Austria, 
and Finland. Their quality of life index were all above 186.4 when they added all those factors up. And just by the way, the United States was number 19. England was number 20. So I, I just bring that up to just get our thoughts juiced. And what is the quality of life index of heaven? Hey, it's, it's, it's off the charts. Hey, it's immeasurable. It's uh, unquantifiable. It's not even possible to, to add it all up. These numbers are indices or ratings. Okay, it's, be, it's beyond what we can imagine or fathom or ask or think. But if we can't put a rating on it, we should at least define it briefly. And the best definition of eternal life is by the Savior himself. You should jot this down. It's John 17, verse 3. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he's praying to God shortly before he goes to the cross. And this is what Jesus prays in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Hey, there it is. Eternal life, the most precious Priceless, unobtainable thing, hey, which the, the rich young ruler, right, this decent, successful, moral man, was asking Jesus how he could obtain. It comes down to this, knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus Christ personally. That's the definition of eternal life. Listen, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of the love chapter there, right, verses 9 and 10 and 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12, he says, For we know in part... Okay, now, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So how do we get that eternal life? How do we get to know God personally? Well, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So how do we get that fear of the Lord? How do we get that knowledge of the Holy One, God? It is simply through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And I'll remind us again, and this needs to be the song of our hearts, folks, dear Faith Bible Church family, as we go out into the world, right? As simple as... God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's that's the only way to heaven when you die. It's by knowing Jesus Christ, knowing that he came to earth. This this man who was God, this God who was man, he came to earth 2,000 years ago to sacrifice himself and to bear the punishment for all of your sins everything that you've did wrong, all the sins that you've committed, he took the penalty on the cross. The father was pouring out his anger against you upon his own son. And Jesus willingly took that for for sinners like us. And so when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And he said, he says, the work is accomplished. You don't have to do the work anymore. You cannot get to heaven by yourself. I've done it. I've paid your debt. I've paid for your sins. And when he rose again from the dead three days later, that was evidence that the Father approved of what the Son did. 
and it proves that that Christianity is what it claims to be, which is the promise of resurrection, eternal life forever and ever and ever. And so what you need to do is repent of your sins. That means confess to God, ask him for forgiveness, and turn to him in faith. Believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to be your savior and Lord. Believe that he died for your sins. And the Bible says you will be saved. And you will not receive judgment and condemnation and hell, but rather all these blessings that we've been talking about. Okay, starting now. And even if you die, there's no more, no more fear, no more, no more worry, no more, nothing, to, nothing to be afraid of. That's the promise of the gospel. So, we have a lot more to say, but we are running out of time quickly. Here's the final promise. The final promise. And you know when it talks about in heaven that believers will join that, that heavenly chorus, the 24 elders and representing the church and believers, and they're, they're singing to God, okay, like full-throated, uh, wholehearted, Unending praise to God. Like, how, how do we, how do we, how do we get that? Okay, because in heaven, listen, all all of our questions are quelled. Okay, all of our doubts are put away. All of our fears are assuaged. Okay, all of our tears are wiped away. All of our conflicts will be resolved. All of our sins done away with. Okay, there's this band called Enfield Christian Band. They wrote a song called Arrived. And just the lyrics, imagine that first moment when we're in heaven, okay? And it goes, when we're, we're arrived, stunned and surprised, all things resolved in the blink of an eye. No more distractions, no sin left to fight. At the first glimpse of Jesus, our faith becomes sight. So this leads us into our transition to our communion time, our observing of the Lord's table. And um, I hope that our, our sermon theme from Mark 10 today was helpful. Sacrifice for the sake of Christ and the gospel comes with those rich, beautiful, wonderful blessings and promises and rewards from Jesus, both now and eternity. And so... As we uh, make our way to the communion table here, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, okay, which was in 1563 in Heidelberg, Germany, uh, just roughly 50 years after the Reformation, okay, the first question of that, that teaching tool is this for believers. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is this that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And lastly, therefore, 
By his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. End quote. So just the precious truths of the gospel captured uh, in that catechism and in the song that we learned earlier. And I think that's um, a good way to enter into our communion time as we remember our Savior and remember the work that he accomplished on the cross for us. So let me pray and let us pray uh, as we approach the table. And I'm going to ask Philip and our brother Joe Vega Sr. to um, start unveiling the, the elements for us. And uh, let's pray, understanding that this is a, a precious time of, of communion with the Lord. It's for believers. Okay, so if you're not a believer as of yet, I'll ask you to remain in your seats. But otherwise, we're going to come around and Joe Vega Sr. will guide that process. But uh, what, a, what another precious privilege we have of being children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this time in your word again and how it it does challenge us, God. It continues to challenge and convict uh, by your Holy Spirit. But I pray, Lord, that it has also been encouraging and uplifting and even motivating, God, as we consider the sacrifices that that, um, people have made and that we've made for the sake of Christ and the gospel. um, I pray, Lord, uh, that we would be encouraged this morning that These blessings and rewards are there, even now, ready, um, ready to to be received as we are faithful to you. So um, as we prepare for communion, God, I pray that our hearts are are just uh, readied and sober and um, remembering our dear Messiah who gave his life for us that we might live for him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.